This is Ben. This is Keith. And this is Main Street Lutherans. So for our starting segment, I just, today is the 28th of November, and I watched the memorial service for Rosalind Carter today in Atlanta, Georgia at Emory University. It was just a phenomenal service. The music, the stories, there were just amazing things told about her. Her grandson got up and talked about the last time he saw her, they were at the hospital. The whole family went to the hospital because Jimmy was in the hospital for something urgent. And I'm sure the family gathered just in case he might have passed from this. And he tells the story that Rosalind got up and she needs to practice walking because if she doesn't walk for some period of time, she might not be able to walk again, being at the advanced age she was and with the the dementia that she was suffering from. So uh, she gets up to walk and he hands her her cane and she says to him, that is not a cane. That is a trekking pole, just like the women that hike to the South Pole use. And so he said he followed her with her trekking pole down the, the hallway and said that he hoped that we would all follow her on her journey. And it was just a great story. It was, uh, but the, the music was things that I, I remembered singing in chapel choir, Wondrous Love. I looked it up. It's the Paul Christensen arrangement. Probably many, many churches have sung it and many, many school choirs, but it was just an amazing service to see. That's really cool. Yeah. I thought that was amazing. And one of the things that stuck out to me um, was that Rosalind Carter was raised Methodist, but when they married, when, when she and Jimmy Carter married, they raised their family Baptist and she's known as a Baptist, but her funeral, uh, at least the way the, the, the TV told it, she had a Methodist funeral. Hmm. with lots of lots of participants from all different sorts of religious backgrounds but that that she went out with a methodist funeral is uh was interesting to me and and it added to what i was thinking about for this week's episode which is why you and i in particular mm-hmm. why we are lutheran at all why are we we are elca lutheran and and right. some of the questions that go along with that a couple of years ago, the church that I served at in York, you know, we were, we were right next to a Methodist congregation and right across the street from a Roman Catholic congregation. And so every once in a while, we managed to get the three churches together for an event or, you know, a worship series or something like that. And in 2017, which was the 500th anniversary of the Lutheran Reformation in Germany, we did a bit on the history of the Reformation, each from our own denomination's perspective, which was really fun. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And uh, one of the things when when St. Matthew was up and we were talking about, you know, the history of the Lutheran Church, you know, we did a little bit of a, like a trivia thing as part of it. And and I asked, you know, if a Catholic wants to get married to a Methodist, where do they get married at? <laughs> the answer, of course, is at a Lutheran Church. So. Sure. Is that is that how St. Matthew's gains members? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When somebody from, from Calvary next door and St. Rose across the street, when they get hitched, they they come and call us. No, on the island I live on, it's the the Presbyterians and the and the the Catholics. Uh-huh. And and the church just happens to be about halfway between them too. So that's that's helpful. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, pretty pretty wild. So Ben, why are you an ELCA Lutheran? Well, I was born into, you know, I'm not even sure which which 
uh, fraction denomination I was born into, but mm-hmm. it was uh, in Bakken's, Ohio. I think it's St. Jacob, which is also my middle name, not the St. part, but our house was two doors away. Um, actually, come to think of it, my my grandparents, my my grandmother was Methodist and my grandfather was Luther or was Catholic. Or maybe <laughs> reverse that. Actually reverse that. So okay. grandpa was Methodist, grandma was Catholic, and so they took their kids to the, the Lutheran the Lutheran church. That's why you're a Lutheran. And that's I guess that's why I'm Lutheran, come to think of it. I'd forgotten about that. So I'm, I was baptized by, uh, by Reverend Hirschberger. Now this is important. You know, at, at one point my, my mom mentioned that, that all the Lutheran churches we went to were, were diverse. Um, we had diversity because we had Hirschbergers and we had Burgers and we had Schroeders and, uh, Schettingers and mm-hmm. we had, you know, all those kinds of folks. Of course, all different varieties of German. Right. But she said we've got diversity, and she she did say it jokingly. So, so that's that's good. But but uh, we lived in that kind of community too, um, very German uh, based communities. In fact, when we moved to Marysville, Ohio, um, which is now known for other things, but it had one German church that started, and fifty years later, some people got upset about that church, split off, took their church to downtown in the the nearby city. And uh, and started the church I was a member of. Fifty years after that, English Lutheran Church was started because the other two churches were still speaking German. Hmm. And so the oldest church is the the Missouri Synod Church church I was part of, Trinity Lutheran Church in Marysville, Ohio, that I was confirmed in. One of the the pastors, not a not a well, he was he was on the roster as a visitation pastor, was Reverend Hirschberger. So he followed our family to that church. His wife was my kindergarten teacher. And then after I was confirmed, the next vote, I think it was it was just a few weeks later. So my very first vote as what I considered myself to be an adult was to vote for the merger of the three churches, the ALC, the LCA, and the AELC. And we'll talk about all of those sometime in the future here. But, uh, but that merger vote... Would have been like 1986 or 7? 1989. Yeah, I think that I think we have become legal in in eighty nine. The votes happened in. Yeah, I think the vote was would have been eighty eight. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So the very first vote I you know as a as a voting member of my church was to vote for that, and uh, okay. and it was really important. And had some some big conversations with my mother about that because we had to change our constitution. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to change the constitution to allow people to be members of the Elks and the Moose and fraternal organizations. Right. Right. Which which secret, you know, really what we're talking about were secret societies like the Masons. So uh, some of the some of the denominations, I'm not sure. Uh, so obviously ours, I think we were ALC. Well, we were either ALC or uh, LCA. But mm-hmm. but one of one of the big denominations, one of the larger ones didn't allow secret society memberships. And the other one did, I think. Right. And so they had to equalize that. And so that was one of the things that had to be changed in our church's constitution. Hmm. That's a long story to say, I feel like Lutheranism is at my core. You know, I, I grew up in that environment. You know, it's, it's just I, born and bred, cradle to grave is probably what I'll, it'll end up being. Mm-hmm. I feel intimately tied to the creation of this, this denomination, even though I left for a while. We'll talk about that in a bit. But yeah, I, I feel like I own part of it. Like, like it's, it's ingrained with me. Yeah. Huh. That's really cool. 
I've also been a lifelong Lutheran. And while, you know, because you and I are, we graduated from school the same year. So born similar times. I don't have any memory of the uh, the merger that, that you described. You know, I'm aware of it as an adult, as a piece of my history, but I don't know what Zion in Glenrock, Pennsylvania was, Zion Lutheran Church, you know, what predecessor body they were part of when I was first baptized. But I grew up there. Uh, you know, I still am connected to the pastor that baptized me and the other pastor later on who confirmed me. I still have, you know, contact with them. And uh, they're, you know, they're important to me. So I grew up in a very small town in Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, the church was a was a big part of our lives there. In fact, in the 70s and 80s in Pennsylvania, schools were growing as the population was booming. And um, there was not enough room for all the kindergarten classes in the in the school district where I was growing up. And so my kindergarten class was actually in my church. <laughs> uh, so, and, and the other thing that was cool about that was my mom at that time in my life was the director of our local senior center, which met in the basement of my church. So I would go to kindergarten in the mornings upstairs in the Sunday school classrooms. And in the afternoons, I would go downstairs and hang out with the old people and learn how to cheat at dominoes. And that was, that was Very my, good. my kindergarten years. And, I, and all through elementary school, I frequently would, you know, I'd get off the bus and I'd be down at the the senior center for the last hour or so the mom was working and then we'd, we'd pack up and, and go home. But that was, there was no distinction in those things between what was Zion's, you know, congregational ministry and the place that my mom worked at and the place that I went to kindergarten and youth group and, you know, other community events that would happen in the church building that weren't really part of the church. But, you know, as a kid, I didn't know the difference. It was just part of my home. And that was really cool. So I wasn't aware of any of the uh, distinctions between, you know, ELCA Lutherans and other denominations until probably the church, Ben, where you and I met when we were in college. You know, I, I know we're going to do a segment on this at some point, but I've what I've learned, you know, about these various factions that we have is that, you know, my values as a person and as a Christian, my understanding of scripture and my piety match, you know, the polity of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America more so than, you know, say the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod or other denominations that, you know, again, I'm not not knocking them. It's just it's it's who I am and it's where I'm at. And I'm sure that one has shaped the other and and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you always wonder, right? It's like, well, Lutheran theology just naturally makes sense to me even as I understand that I wasn't taught it properly. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and because of that, I wonder, was it, you know, I, when I, when I talked to Duncan, uh, my, my 15 year old about, about this, about, about faith things, I naturally gravitate toward what I learned in the green book liturgy. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we, we had a discussion just recently about, about the confession and, how important the words to me, and I've I've I quote these often. I think, and that is, you know, that that uh, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with a whole heart, with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And when I think through, when I think through that, I think those parts of the liturgy influenced my 
the, my personal theo- theological thoughts, maybe more than any of the Sunday school stuff or the Jay Beach stuff, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the gathering and, and all those things. I think the, the constant and, and those things are core Lutheran identity, core Lutheran theology. Nobody can mess that up. Yeah. Unlike Sunday school. Yeah. Yeah. Liturgy absolutely shapes us, I think, in our tradition. Because, and I, because yeah. And I don't our, think I realized that till I got to college. Our, our liturgy is so, so intertwined with our theology, you know, and that's the, what it, that's, you know, in the, in the college and seminary liturgical classes, they'll tell you that's what it's supposed to do. That our liturgy is supposed to teach our theology and sort of inculcate people in it. But it also, our liturgy is one of the ways that primarily expresses our, our theology too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, I, I mentioned my hopping out. I, I was a uh, UCC for a bit um, after, after Deborah and I were married. Um, and then when we, we made a move and, and the best fit for us then was a, a PCUSA church. But uh, Keith, I think, I think you're, you had a period where you uh, sort of put aside the the ministry gig for a little bit. Yeah, I did. I, um, after I graduated from seminary, I took a call in Lansdale, PA, and I was there for uh, four or five years. I was just at a point in my life, you know, I'm in my, I was about 30, I guess, when I left there. I was just at a place in my life where I was you know, on reflection, really struggling in a lot of ways, struggling with depression and anxiety, struggling with being, uh, you know, a young parent. And also I had, I had this sort of unexplored passion, this, this sort of dream that I'd never quite been aware of as a dream uh, until that time. And that was, I really, I had, I had been involved in martial arts for a number of years, really loved classes, really loved teaching and wanted to start my own school. And so that is what I did. I I left my first call. I moved back to my hometown and I started a karate school. And then I also worked. That was my, that was what I did because I loved it. And then for money and income, I, I was a, a carpenter and a handyman. You know, that, that path led me in different directions for a couple of years. And it's uh, long story short, I, I did get back into uh, the ministry after about three years, first as an interim pastor, and and now in the call that I have at St. Matthew, and and it's it's a, pay, a period of my life where I'm glad that I did it. I learned that I'm really not cut out to to be an entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> I don't quite have the head for that business sense of it, and I'm glad that I did it, and I'm glad that I don't do it anymore. You know, I'm I it because it gave me a sense of perspective to know that. My personality, my giftedness as a Christian, as a person, really are to be a professional minister. And I and I know that now, having tried on a couple of different hats. And I've been back, you know, I've I've been back in the church now for oh golly, almost 20 years, I guess. And um, and so that's that's uh that's pretty meaningful to me. Yeah, and and I I think it's fair to say that everybody's first call seems to be rather difficult on them. Yeah, uh, that adjustment, it can be, right? You know, and it's and especially you know for people that we call pipeliners, that you know, folks that graduate from high school, go to college, and then go straight to seminary. And you know, when I was in seminary, that was about half of us. Um, there were about half of the people that were you know in their 
um, early 20s that had just come out of college, were going into seminary, and when they graduated in their mid to late 20s, were going to be going to their first call, versus people that had been teachers, nurses, lawyers, you know, whatever, coming out of, you know, running their own businesses, working in corporate America, coming out of those fields, and they might be in their 30s, 40s, 50s. You know, I had a classmate who graduated in her mid-60s. So while you were Alf, uh, were you still attending church like normal, like a like a regular parishioner? I I was, and that was an interesting experience. Yeah, to be an ordained pastor and then just be a member of the congregation, and it was partly why I wound up at the church that I was at, which was a a, a bigger church where I knew, you know, I, I had some side conversations with the pastoral staff. I knew there were other pastors, mostly retired pastors that were members of the congregation and that, um, you know, we could kind of fly under the radar and not be perceived as a threat or an oddity. <laughs> and, um, well, and that you was, know, the, the church we met at Cal- uh, Calvary would have been one of those, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, which was really funny because it was a much smaller church, yeah. but there were lots of pastors that were happy to be at that place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Missionaries and yeah, all sorts. Yeah. The, uh, and I had, you know, I had a six, seven, eight year old daughter at the time that I really wanted to have connected to um, an active, of course, yeah, sense of programming for uh, for young people. And so, you know, the, the congregation was important there, too. Yeah. At that time, you know, we talk about the ministry thing. You know, you had your your spot with ministry. I almost went to seminary, didn't and then went off and had a career in way too many things. And now I'm a a career like it's a singular thing. Well, yeah, it's a, to me, it is. (laughs) I get it. I'm just Ben. Um, (laughs) Right. But uh, (laughs) joining this lay ministry, the, the, uh, the laid licensed lay minister uh, to me was, was originally, we, we had an issue at the beginning of the COVID problem, uh, the COVID pandemic that our pastor needed to leave the congregation. And that was in, in the fall of 2020, mm-hmm. it was most of most of the supply preachers um, that we could get were elderly, and so they were not traveling to a church to do anything for to prepare communion or any of that. Especially not this far away from their homes, which would have been for most of them over an hour to get to where we are. Mm-hmm. They don't want to take that risk, and and we don't want to make them. So so we were really having trouble. And I thought I'd, I'd heard about this LLM program, the licensed lay ministry program in the Senate. And I thought, well, if I can get through that program, um, after all, it's only two years. So I could go through that program, get through it, and then start supply preaching in my own church so mm-hmm. that we don't have to look so far. Okay. Right. And then if then when we have a called pastor again, because because calling a pastor in 2020 and 2021 was impossible. Right. Uh, but if I could be available, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking this in 2020, if, if I could, you know, do that next step, then I can, then, then I'll be available for other churches in our area. And, and so they won't have a problem either. And, and I'm younger, so I, I, I can take more risks. I can drive further, do whatever. Yeah. But leaving that church then that eliminated that reason. Um, mm. They have a called pastor and, and that sort of thing. So there's not as much need now. But the program itself is really speaking to me, and I'm really having a good time with it. Yeah, I think I'm really good, which a lot of people have told me I would be anyway. So 
<laughs> Absolutely. And besides, it's a two-year program, and you've managed to not quite finish it in a little over three. Sure feels like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It turns out it's more like a two and three-quarter year process. But part right. of that is we did have we did have one class that had to be rescheduled because of illness in the family of the uh, guy who was supposed to teach. So right. Well, like you said the urgency is kind of off because you're no longer at the same congregation. So yeah, I'm not. Yeah. Um, and I think I can now officially or I, I can unofficially start doing some duties okay. um, to, for the internship at least. So, so, and I'm learning about that, but yeah. you know, and then we talk about my, my family, right. Uh, that's the other yeah. part is, is that how your family comes along with this. And yeah. My family is, we've been, we've been pretty low key. One of my sons actually is a little bit traumatized by church and I'm not sure what, if there's an event that happened, if something happened, um, I know that I know that one of the the people that did youth activities um, at at this church here near us is pretty pretty brutal in how he leads youth activities. You know, he wants he wants the kids to be doing chores around the church mm-hmm. and and berates them a little bit and is okay. is uh, is too. That it's not the good way to to do youth activities, right? You know, um, and I think that might have been part of it. But but there's something traumatic in in his in Tristan's uh, experience with church that makes him really really resistant. Okay, um, and and it's more than just wanting to play video games or something. Now Duncan, on the other hand, likes it quite a bit, but because uh, both Tristan and Deborah are sort of resistant now. Deborah is very, uh, she's very introverted and doesn't, doesn't take to people very quickly. And so she really needs to meet somebody that she wants to see there. Right. And we had an intern who she really did have a lot. Of, they did click really well, but the intern's now back in, in Phoenix. Yeah. Um, and so, so that you didn't meet your intern, didn't I? You did. That Sunday I was at worship with you. Yeah. Yes. And she likes our pastor. We actually scheduled to have a meeting with, with Carm, uh, Pastor Carm, and and the rest of the family, and and they all get along and everything, but but uh, it's it's one thing to to be comfortable, and and with me not being able to be there every Sunday, you know, there's no there's no tug to bring the family along, right? And so uh, so that hasn't happened quite so much, and uh, and it's unfortunate. Yeah, my family is, you know, so one of the things that was happening when I shortly after I left my first call and went into business for myself was that I also got divorced. And, uh, we had, we had one daughter, Alice, who was, you know, five, six years old at the time. And, um, so, you know, church for me as a, you know, single dad, you know, church was still a part of my life. And so Alice was, was a, was a part of that as well. And, and, you know, and then, she was when I was back into ministry, she was along for the ride. And um uh and then when I came to St. Matthew, uh she was confirmed here and and went through some of the uh youth programming that we had and and that was that was all cool. And she's 24 now and married and doesn't have a very strong connection to the actual church body at this point but i think she's still sympathetic to what the church stands for yeah 
And so, um, you know, she still shows up here once in a while for things when she's in the area. Her wife, who was from Nigeria, uh, was also raised, uh, I think, in the Anglican Church. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of but a lot of overlap in the in the practices and theology of those bodies, even from two different continents. That book uh, of prayer is powerful. Yeah, yeah. Alice also, as a musician, you know, has probably the, the strongest connection to the church he's had in his adult has been playing bass or playing tuba, you know, in the uh, in the brass ensemble or in the in the praise band at uh, different points when, you know, we've had a need and somebody called her up and she said, yeah, sure. Is that a polka praise band? It's not. Yes. It's, it's, uh, uh, no, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. The, I went the tuba in the praise band. Tuba, there's not a tuba in the praise band. She played bass in the praise band. <clears throat> she uh, she played tuba in the brass ensemble. It's more of a Reformation and Christmas Eve kind of gig. Yeah. So, and then my 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 current wife Debbie, she describes herself uh, as having been raised half-assed Catholic. That's that's <laughs> her own phrasing for it, meaning that you know her parents both had Catholic. Well, her father especially had Catholic roots. Her mother had some experience with the Catholic Church, and they were pretty active when they, when she and her sister were very young and living in Ohio. But after they moved to Pennsylvania, not so much so. So she really didn't have a connection to the church um, much, really, un until we met. She, what what she says is that she fell in love with me, and I happened to be a Lutheran pastor, and she discovered that hey, Lutherans are are okay people. So. Um, she is connected to the to the ELCA because in um, in the in the circles that you Ben and I are connected to in the ELCA is a is a is a is a a body a church body that Debbie is sympathetic to as well, and so she feels really strongly that some of the same things that are important to the ELCA are important to her, and uh, so she's strongly connected in in that regard. She's not a person who goes to church every Sunday, but she's here frequently. We have a 10 year old daughter who, you know, is extremely social. And part of that social connection for her is at church. She has friends here, just like she has friends at school. She also has friends at school who go to other churches. And so that, that serves as a sort of a bond for them. Um, and so that's been sort of cool to experience that overlap as well. Yeah. For me as a parent, and as a parent who is a pastor, you know, my kids, I think, get a, a different kind of take on church than they would if they were in a, a family of, you know, strictly lay people. But I think that it's not a, a bad perspective. You know, the co-pastor, the, the senior pastor that I work with is my younger daughter's godfather. She calls him G-Daddy. There's, uh, there's, there's a lot of strong connections there. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so I think we've covered that. So now what everybody's been waiting for, we uh, get to release the answer to the question from the from last week or from our, actually, this since this is really our first full, full length episode, uh, maybe even going a little long, the, the, what we thought was going to be the first episode is actually going to be our trailer. So, so from the trailer, we do have the question and it was true or false. The small catechism is the Cliff Notes version of Lutheran's large catechism. And the answer is false. And yet, 
there is some overlap. And the small catechism, you know, I, I always, I do wonder about the names. Did they really choose to call them large catechism and small catechism? Or was it just that one was the catechism and then the other one was the version of the catechism that was either longer or shorter than that one? Anyhow, turns out they're both written, well, I mean, the content developed over the course of probably a decade, but they, they both, I think, were more or less officially published in 1529, but they had different audiences. The large catechism was written for pastors and for church professors because Luther and Melanchthon and some of their fellows were basically control freaks, and they thought that um, these guys did not have a strong handle on uh, Lutheran piety. Well, in fact, the, the introduction to the large catechism says, I went touring through the churches and it is apparent that none of you know what you're doing. Right. Right. As only Lutheran <laughs> can do. Yeah. So he wrote those, the large catechism to basically re-educate them and, or, you know, fill in the gaps of what they, what they were missing from their, their time in, in college and whatever. Well, and to be fair, when they went to seminary, it wasn't Lutheran. True. Or, or yeah. as they would say, evangelical. Right, uh, which is a whole other topic. Yeah, we'll be talking about that one eventually too. But yeah, the small catechism, believe it or not, wasn't written for pastors to teach to kids in confirmation classes. It was written for their parents to teach their kids about the basic tenets of the faith. Um, Shocking extension it... of the ministry of the congregation, not for the congregation to do in their place. So I don't know about you, Ben, but when we teach confirmation at St. Matthew, we ask the parents to come with their kids. And so we end up having a much richer conversation for that, not only because the parents want to be there and the kids don't and the parents talk and the kids don't, but because we get, you know, um, just lots of different perspectives then on the, on the conversation. So that's a lot of fun. Huh? Yeah. Uh, confirmation was always our date night. There you go. So I, I don't think we'd go to church for date night. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, so a new question. So, so the answer officially is false, but sort of. Right. So, our new question for this this week. Yeah, I'll go ahead and read it here. What is the primary purpose of the Ten Commandments? Now, this is multiple choice. A. They are rules we must follow in order to earn salvation. B. They are laws that are given to us by God for use in our courts. When they have to be B, written outside the courthouse, right? Yeah, or in for yeah. some. Um, right. See, they show us that we fall short of God's demands and that we need faith in Christ for salvation. And uh, D, they had a purpose in the time of Moses, but we are not to use them anymore. So those are the, and this is, this is what is Luther's answer for the purpose, primary purpose of the Ten Commandments. Answer that for us if you want to email us at our email address that will be in the following here, um, or we might have a, a, a link to this on our website, which is MainStreetLutherans.com. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye, y'all. Main Street Lutherans is hosted by Keith Fair and Ben Fote. You can reach us at MainStreetLutherans at gmail.com, MainStreetLutherans.com, or on the socials as at MainStreetLutherans. Right now, that's Facebook, Instagram, and Threads. The show is produced by Fote Media Productions. Until next time, go in peace, serve the Lord.